Amen. If you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17, we're going to continue the series through the Gospel of Matthew. This next section, we're talking about the kingdom come. At the beginning, we talked about the king and his kingdom. Jesus came on to, stepped onto world state. God became flesh and dwelt in our midst and came to earth. And that's the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus does amazing miracles and does some incredible things as he shows his power over uh, creation in a variety of different ways. He calms seas, he casts out demons, he heals the sick, the blind, the lepers. He does amazing things showing that he is the promised Messiah but uh, had not clearly made, painted the picture of what he had come ultimately to do, and that was to die on the cross, to be our substitute uh, on the cross, to take the wrath of God that, was, that we all deserve to have poured out on us. He was going to have that poured on it, out on him. And so at the end of chapter 16, which we read last week and went through that, Jesus, for the second time, first time kind of really explaining it, but the, but the second time has mentioned his death, that he is going to die he will be buried, and he will come back to life. In fact, he says, if anybody wants to follow me, they're going to have to die to themselves, and they're going to have to bury themselves, and they're going to have to be resurrected to live a different kind of life, a resurrected life. Follow me. Jesus says, those who want to follow after me are going to have to deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow me. And so, as we continue in this um, series, what happens at the very end of that passage, he says, some of you aren't going to taste death until you see Christ coming or see the Son of God coming in his glory. And a lot of people wonder, well, what is what is he talking about? What is he referencing? What is he mentioning? But he says specifically, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. You say, well, when is that going to be fulfilled? Well, uh, Jesus is coming back, but he did uh, show them a, a, a picture of himself coming in the kingdom in a way that nobody had seen Jesus like this. Jesus kind of pulls the curtain back, if you will, and reveals himself. Now, here's the challenge for us. Is your perception of reality, reality? Is your perception of reality really reality? I mean, for that matter, we have reality shows, which really should be called not so real reality shows. It's not really clearly reality. And and yet we have this word. What does that mean? What is reality? What is really real? And can you trust your perception? Can you trust your mind's ability, your heart's ability to really navigate through the challenges and the options and the different belief systems um, and the different temptations of this world and land on the truth? And I would say you shouldn't. And I should not. Just because you perceive and you think you understand reality, rest assured you don't probably understand reality. I was teaching as a adjunct professor for like five years at a community college, uh, a class in, under philosophy, but it was Old Testament, New Testament survey in a secular college. And um, one of the questions I would often ask students at the beginning of the semester is, if we were to get into a time capsule and we were to all load up in this time capsule and we were to go back to the time of Jesus and we were to watch him uh, being crucified, being beaten, being uh, going through the trial and the whole thing, and then beaten and put on the cross and and dying, and then watch the resurrection. And so, if we were to come back, you know, we we experienced, we saw that with our own eyes, and we were to come back here to present day, 
which would be more reliable, your view of what you saw or the revelation of God in the Word? Which, which view, uh, which version of what you saw or what happened would be more reliable? And without question, the vast majority of people would say they trust their eyes over the Word of God. And the reality is you shouldn't. You shouldn't. You see from a different perspective. You have a bias. You have um, certain life experience and challenges and wounds and, and good things and bad things and educational things and non-educational things and a variety of different things that, have, that, that are packed into who you are and they affect the way that you see things. I've been working with my boys on, um, and, and my girls on uh, building a little treehouse in the backyard. And one of the big things we've been working on is trying to put some handrails up and make sure everything's level. And so I've got my boys trained on using a level and how to make sure that, you know, you got the little bubble thing and is the bubble in the middle? Is it right? It's a little bit off. No, it's right. And getting the bubble just right. And the reality is, is all of us, because of sin, are tilted a little bit and we're a bubble off. And it might not be a lot for you, but, it, but when you... When you take that line out far enough, you get so far away from the truth, you realize if you were to take the logical progression of our thoughts and our biases and the influences on our lives, you find yourself far away from the reality of who God really is. You can't trust your perspective on things. And that's what we find in this passage. Read with me in Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. And and here's the goal this morning is that we would see Jesus. This is the title of the message. Seeing Jesus for who he really is. Seeing Jesus for who he is really is. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. Now, we don't know what mountain it is. There's a variety. There's like three different mountains that people think because they're close to Galilee, which mountain this was. We ultimately don't know which mountain um, this happened on, but nonetheless, uh, he took them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. Transfigured, that word is the word for uh, metamorphosis. We get metamorphosis for he was changed and transformed into a different form. And they looked at him, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. They look up and they see Moses and Elijah having a conversation with Jesus and goes on. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. This is awesome, Jesus. This is really, really great. If you wish, I will make three tents here. You know, I'm going to build three little huts, three little tabernacles for us to kind of hang out in. One for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and they were terrified. But Jesus came and he touched them and he said, rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only and they And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Don't tell anybody what you just saw until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, well, then why did the scribes say that at first Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him. But 
did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at the hands, at their hands. And then the disciples understood. They understood. They got it. What did they get? That he was speaking about John the Baptist. They get a piece of the puzzle, but they don't get the big idea of what Jesus has come, who he really is, and what's really going on. But they understand part of it. They realize, oh, so John the, that John the Baptist was Elijah. Yeah, we, I've been trying to tell you boys that for a little while, but glad you've caught up. They finally got that. You have to go back and read earlier in Matthew if you want to get the full understanding of John the Baptist. But what's the issue here? Well, first thing you need to know is that seeing does not equal perceiving and believing. How many of you have heard the statement before, seeing is believing? You said that or heard that before? Seeing is believing. Well, understand this. Seeing does not, does not automatically and does not equal perceiving and believing. Just because you see doesn't mean you really understand what's going on. Okay? So that after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain by themselves, They're tra- and he's transfigured into light. What did they see? What was going on there? Well, these guys, they knew their Bibles. They knew the Old Testament. They were seeing some things like, in, for, for instance, in Daniel chapter 10. If you were to look at Daniel, Daniel chapter 10, verse 6. By the way, I'm going to talk about this at the end a little bit, but, uh, but I would encourage you to jot some notes as we're going through this. Verses, big ideas, things that God's speaking to you on. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but I uh, encourage you to do that. Chapter 10, verse 6, it says, His body also, Daniel has this vision, and he has this vision of, of God or this, this um, son of man, uh, not totally understanding who it is. In verse 6, his body was like that of Beryl, and his face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. So his face was like lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam like polished bronze, the sound of his words, like the sound of, of um, tumult or like oceans or raging. Now, I, Daniel, alone saw this vision. And he goes on to, to explain more about that. That's one version of what these, the disciples saw. Here's another one in uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 14, the very beginning of the book of Revelation. John has a vision and he sees Jesus. And here's the description, his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. You ever seen the crack of lightning and ever saw just that lightning hit, that quick flash? I mean, it is bright. It is fire coming down to earth in an instance. And that's what they saw, Jesus, his face like, like lightning just exploding in front of them, seeing the brilliance and the splendor in the, the, the illumination of who Jesus is. He's transformed in front of them. It's an amazing moment. And then as they're observing, they see him talking to Elijah and to Moses. Uh, in Exodus chapter 34, here's some other images of this. You have the shining face of Moses. He, he's up with God up on the mountain. He's getting the Ten Commandments. He comes down, and the people of God, the, the, the nation of Israel, they ask Moses, they beg him, would you please cover your face up with a veil because we can't stand to look at your face. It's so bright, the reflected glory of God off of your face. You hanging out with God in seeing a vision of the tail end of God, not even the face on with God, but just the tail end of God as he passes by. And then you come down here and having been in the perfect holiness of God, the presence of the perfect holiness of God, the reflection of his glory upon your face is so intimidating and blinding to us. Would you please 
cover it up with a sheet. Moses, the reflection was so bright, they had to do that. Again, this, these concepts of who Jesus was, this, this, is, this is rooted in Old Testament histories of how God has manifested himself to his people. They, they're understanding this. And then in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, they, he tells them to build a temple, build a tabernacle, which, which is similar to what Peter's idea is to build now. A tabernacle is just a big tent, okay? And so he tells, he tells them to build a tent where they're going to come meet with God. They're going to make sacrifices on behalf of their sin. God's going to manifest his presence in the tabernacle. The priests go in on behalf of the people to, to, to place the blood from the sacrifices on behalf of their sin before God to make them right. So the priest is the mediator between God and man. The people worship God around the tabernacle, kind of hanging out around it. And when they first built the tabernacle, as he prescribed, he gave them very specific directions on, on what everything was supposed to look like and the dimensions and all the specifics. They finally got this thing built, set it up, and they're going to consecrate it. They're going to they're set it up, and they're going to you know, cut the tape and get this thing ready and start using the tabernacle. And in that moment, in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, the glory of the Lord is manifest. It says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, this cloud would have scared them to death. It's the same cloud that encompassed when Moses went up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. This cloud enveloped a whole mountain. They heard thunder. They heard a trumpet as the presence of God was coming to manifest itself on the mountain. And, and, and Moses, God warned the people through Moses that if, you, if a livestock, much less if you, get on the mountain, you will be incinerated because of your unholiness. Don't touch the mountain. Stay away from the mountain. Stay away from the, the cloud of God, the holiness of God manifest in the mountain. Don't go in it. So here we are in Exodus 40. The same cloud now has left the mountain, and it's on the temple, and it is covering the temple. And they're afraid because they know this is the holiness of God. It's another image of Jesus in the Old Testament. And they see all these things, and they hear it. And what Peter's response is, funny enough, is this is so cool. Moses and Elijah and Jesus all hanging out together. Behold, they appeared. Moses, who represents the law, first five books of the Old Testament. Elijah, who represents the, the prophets. He's the greatest of the prophets. And they're talking with Jesus. In Luke chapter 9, gives a little more insight. says they were talking about um, Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. In the Matthew version, we're not told what they're talking about. We just know they're talking. And as they're talking, Peter sees this, and he suggests, let's build a tabernacle for the three. What's going on there? Well, here, here's what's going on for Jesus. I mean, for, for Peter and the disciples. They look at this image. Jesus displayed in glory, hanging out with Moses and Elijah. And here's what their mind does. It goes, okay, Moses, the greatest of the Old Testament, he gave us the law. Elijah, the greatest of the prophets. Here we have the law and we have the prophets. And now we have the Messiah. We have Jesus. We get the law, the prophets, the, the Messiah. That's like that's like the Trinity right there. We've got the whole total package. We've got like the, this is like the dream team right here. Moses, Elijah, Jesus, the dream team. We got the whole thing. These are the best players of all of Judaism. This is so awesome that they're all here right now. Let us build a tabernacle. We can even, people could come visit and hang out here and see that now the law and the prophets and the Messiah are all here hanging out. It will be so cool. We can even sell tickets and popcorn maybe. I don't know. It'll be so neat. For all. And the problem with people Peter, is his perception of reality was wrong because he thought that the law and the prophets and the Messiah were on the same level and were all equal. The reality is the law is wonderful when used right. 
because it points us out to us, points out to us the fact that we are sinful. Now, whether you read the law or you don't read the law, it doesn't really matter. It still points out that you're sinful, that you need intervention. You need somebody to pay for your debt. You need somebody to provide a righteousness, a goodness that you do not have on your own. And the prophets call people back in repentance to come back to God, come back to God, come back to God. And that voice of of guilt and that feeling of I'm going to do better are never going to bring about change and transformation in your life. The awareness of I just don't measure up and I'm going to try harder this time or I just feel so good. If I just feel more guilty and beat myself up more than then maybe I'll be able to get rid of this guilt and God will be happy with me. No, no, th- those things were meant to point you to the other one who was on the mountain, and that is Jesus. So as Peter is saying these very words, as Peter is explaining, hey, it would be super cool if we were to build a tabernacle before Jesus, before Peter even finishes that, God rudely interrupts Peter in the midst of his conversation, in the midst of his grand ideas. God just moves in, and suddenly the place is covered with a cloud again. And rightfully so, the disciples were frightened. They were scared to death. They hit the ground in fear. Which is, by the way, what happens when God shows up. People hit the ground in fear. Verse 5, it says, He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and the voice of the cloud from the cloud, a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. What was he saying there? If you um, have read any of the Gospels, and um, certainly if you've been with us in the last year through the Gospel of Matthew, you remember in chapter 3, uh, that same phrase was said at Jesus' baptism. Remember that? Jesus' baptism, he's being baptized, and suddenly this dove comes down, man, which was the Holy Spirit manifested himself in as like a dove. Okay, The Holy Spirit is not a bird. He manifests himself just to show everybody he's here and to affirm his presence upon Jesus And so uh, in that moment, they heard with their ears, God speaking, this is my son on whom I'm well pleased. What happens is Jesus is God is is anointing his son and is is highlighting for everybody. This is this is my boy. This is my son. This is me with flesh on right here. This is this is the son of God, son of man. Okay, who I promised he's here and he's about to begin his ministry. So we're going to go ahead and kick it off right now. And now God is doing that again to say, again, in case you missed it the first time, this is my son. And what's about to happen to him in the next couple months is part of the plan. The death, the burial, the resurrection, this is part of it too. just want to highlight again, this is my anointed one. What's about to happen is not a mistake, it's part of the plan. Again, he shows another kind of fuller image of who Jesus is. Again, First thought, seeing doesn't equal perceiving, believing. God's revealing equals perceiving and believing. What I mean by that means the revelation of God. When God reveals something, then we can trust it. What God has revealed, we can trust. What God has not revealed, then you cannot trust. Okay, God does not reveal things uh, that contradict his word. Okay, This is the final authority is the word of God. And when things that people say, oh, I saw this and I believe and I had this vision. I had this dream. And I had, in fact, I'll give you one example. Uh, that's it's a popular, huge one right now. And I don't want to get a rant about this. It's not all bad. But the um, the heaven is for real book in um, the movie. 
is a inspiring and a wonderful story from the standpoint of giving us the hope of heaven and think about things. But the reality is when you look at that and you measure it up in Scripture, it just doesn't match up. There's been a lot of preachers, a lot of different um, you know, Christians that have written and explained and articulated. There's a great video on YouTube. You can look it up. David Platt very graciously and kindly explains where there's a dis- difference. Another book is The Shack, which is coming out in a movie. Oprah Winfrey is going to be in that. Um, I'm assuming she'll be God in that one. Um, but I don't know if you've read The Shack. Uh, it's an interesting book. It's, a, it's you know, a, an interesting novel. But the problem is it messes with God and the Trinity. And it presents God and the Trinity in a way that the Bible does not present God and the Trinity. In fact, in the law, it says in the Ten Commandments to not make God into a graven image. Don't make God into something that is of this world, something that is created, something that is of us. Don't make God look like us. Don't make God look like anything. God has manifested himself as the Father, Son, and the Spirit the way that he wants to manifest himself, and he has given us the perfect representation of him in, his, uh, in the word of God. And so go back to that and measure yourself based upon that. Understand? Now, I have met lots of people that have been encouraged by both books. I'm not saying they're all bad, but I am saying if you go to those to, to build your frame of reference for what, who Jesus is, what heaven is like, what the Trinity is like, you're going to be mistaken because that is a perception that is not reality according to the word of God. Does that make sense? You find the balance there? Okay. Um, so, not condemning, not attacking. I'm just, there's a balance there. Come back to the Word of God because revelation is what we, the God's revelation is what we can reveal. When God reveals Himself, that equals perception and believing. When we believe in what He has revealed, now we have an accurate view of reality. So, God enters into the story, says, This is my son of whom I am well pleased. And, uh, Let me read another verse for you. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. It says this. uh, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like man, like me, from among you. This is Moses speaking. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. And it is to him you shall listen. And what's the last thing God says? This is my son whom I'm well pleased. And he adds a phrase he didn't have in the beginning at the baptism. Listen to him. According to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18, verse 15, that seems to be a fulfillment of a prophecy. Moses said, God's going to raise up a prophet from among you uh, that's greater than me, and you need to listen to him. And that's who he was talking about. I believe he was talking about Jesus. Verse 6, when the disciples heard these things, they fell on their face. They were terrified, and Jesus came and touched them and said, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus said to them, tell no one uh, but the vision that you saw until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Now, I have a couple quick thoughts I want to I I bring home for you to think about to ponder as we apply these things to our life. The first one is uh, a couple questions, three questions. What is my source? What is your source of knowledge and truth? What is your source of knowledge and truth? There's plenty of things to read. There's plenty of sources, but what ultimately is your source of knowledge and truth. Where do you go to find and to build your frame of reference and your understanding of what is true and what is not true? Where do you get that from? Because it's very important. Proverbs 23 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. In other words, what you believe largely determines what you do, how you act. What you believe is going to determine what you do. As a man thinks, so he is. And so it's important that we replace our thoughts with the revelation of God 
uh, and we come back to the, our source for knowledge and truth being the word of God, or primarily being the word of God. This is called the doctrine of revelation. I don't have time to get into all the specifics of the details about that, but let me just say, simply put, that God has revealed himself through his word, and, and we believe, and across I believe, and I believe or you could argue, um, well, clearly, orthodox evangelical Christianity you might have different denominations, you might have different backgrounds, whatever, but those who would believe like we believe uh, would, would believe that this is the word of God and God has given us a sufficient revelation of who he is. This is the problem I have with, uh, with elements of, well, th- this is one of the problems I, sh- I struggle with Catholicism and with uh, charismatic leaning churches because both of those camps believe that God is still speaking new revelations of who he is. He has not defined himself in the word, but he's continuing to speak through the pope, through added revelations and traditions of the church. And so they have all these things that clearly don't match up with scripture. And therefore, uh, they have like, for instance, Jesus, uh, Mary had never sinned. Peter um, is the first uh, is is the uh, first pope. And uh, there's all these different things uh, that there's an intermediate intermediate place that you go when you die purgatory, that none of those things are anywhere in the word of God. They're not in the word of God. They're added revelations that have been added to the Bible, and they have perverted the truth of the word of God. Are you saying all Catholics are going to hell? I am not. Jesus is the way to heaven. Jesus is the way of heaven. Do, I, do you know Catholics that, that have repented of their sins and put their faith and trust in, in Christ? Yeah. I, I know Catholics that love Jesus, passionate about Jesus. But nonetheless, sometimes we, we've got to be careful because we can get so far away from the truth that we begin to get into ritualism and different things that, that how wrong can you be and still be right? And at the end of the day, I want to come back to the word of God in the Catholic in the uh, in charismatic movements, different Pentecostal churches and different. There's one locally here that was on YouTube and hit the news and became a huge major thing because they teach all these things about one specific prophet and they don't even study the Bible. They had a whole thing about uh, interracial children and how they're they're that, That's ungodly and wrong. And they didn't quote one verse in the Bible. They quoted a prophet who is dead. I mean, a, a recent prophet, the, one of their teachers, a preacher guy that who called himself a prophet, self-proclaimed prophet, and he's dead. And and they're going and they study every Sunday morning, probably right now they're over there and they're reading the word of the prophet, not the word of God. They're reading an extra revelation. It's not the word of God. So what do we believe about the doctrine of revelation? God has revealed himself through his word. We have the whole thing. Genesis to Revelation 66 books, Old Testament, New Testament is the full revelation of God. It does not need to be endorsed by archaeological evidence, though archaeological evidence more often than not matches up and endorses the Bible. And eventually, given enough time, it always ends up pointing back to the truth that this is true. But it is it proves itself within it. You have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies and promises that 300, 700, 1000 years later have been fulfilled. And so it is it needs no it needs no accreditation from any other outside source. It doesn't need anybody else to say, you know, this really is true because I've got a Ph.D. in you know, blah, blah, blah. And therefore, I, I I've studied and I, I know it's true. So you can try. It doesn't need an endorsement from any human. God has endorsed it. God has endorsed Jesus. In fact, let's go a step further. John, chapter one, verse one. Let's go a step further. Jesus, uh, here's what the gospel of John says. And notice this wordplay. Interesting. In the beginning was the what? The word. And the word was God. And the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. He, the word. And all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing 
came into being that has come into being. In him, the word, was life. And the life was the light of men. Then the light uh, shines. The light shines in the darkness. But the darkness does not comprehend, again, does not perceive, not understand it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that there might, they might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was not what the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. But as many has received him to them, he has given the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Who is he talking about? Very next verse, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt in our midst. And we saw his glory. Transfiguration. Transfiguration. Who's on the mountain? Who's with Peter? John. We saw his glory. <laughs> we saw his glory. Glory from the Father, full of grace and truth. We saw his glory, exact representation of who God is manifest to us. We saw it. We saw and we now understand because God has revealed himself, not because of our perception of reality, but because we saw and God affirmed and God has revealed himself to us. What is my source for knowledge and truth? It better be the word of God, not a man. Look, I am not your source for the word and truth to the degree that I teach and preach and proclaim the word of God, you can trust me. But to the degree that I get off court and I'm not talking and teaching about the word of God, do not listen to me. Test me. Test all those who come after me. Okay, that anybody, may, may God forbid that Cross Life Church will ever be led, led by, by men who do not believe the word of God. May it always be people that believe in the revelation of the word of God. What is my source of knowledge and truth? Secondly, what is the truth about Jesus. Clearly, Jesus has revealed himself throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, but clearly in the Mount, uh, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. They got to see Jesus not as he is, but as he always was and as he always will be. That's what happened. In that little moment, let's get this time, in this little moment of time, they're on a mountain, and in that moment, you can argue time stands still, the clouds open, suddenly they see Jesus for who he is, always having been, always going to be, and, and being right there in front of him. And, and in that moment, they stepped into and they saw a vision of eternity with time, where time does not limit the vision of what they saw. He said, well, how do you know Jesus looked like this back in the Old Testament? Isaiah, the revelation of Isaiah, God revealing himself to Isaiah, that was Jesus. The burning bush, Jesus. Uh, lots of places in the Old Testament, Jesus. And then in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus. Uh, the vision in Ezekiel, Jesus. Lots of visions of Jesus. What is the truth about Jesus? In Hebrews chapter uh, 1, well, verse 1, God, after he spoke long ago through the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways. In other words, he spoke through Moses, spoke through Elijah. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, uh, through whom he also made the world. He is the radiance of his glory. He is the exact representation of his nature. 
and he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much more, much better than the angels. And he has inherited um, a more excellent name than they. Jesus is above all things. In Colossians, we are seeing, you see Jesus, he is preeminent. He is the center point of all things we find in, in, uh, in Philippians chapter 2 because he has humbled himself, humbled himself to the point of coming to this earth, dying on the cross. God has exalted him to the highest place that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. The truth about Jesus is he is God. He, he always has been God. He always will be God. The word was God. The word was with God. And the word has put, put on flesh and dwelt in our midst. Jesus is God. He is not just like Moses, just like Elijah. He's not another. He is. He, they came into being through him. In fact, Abraham, Jesus told uh, the Pharisees when they're arguing about, so you're greater than Abraham? And he says, Abraham was fired up. Maybe he was excited when he saw my day. When he saw that I was going to come to earth and, and uh, it was fulfillment of all the stuff that he was really looked at by faith, this future city, this future redemption that God was going to provide, this lamb that was going to be, not, not that wasn't going to take the place of his son Isaac, but, but the lamb of God, Jesus, who took the place of his sins and his son Isaac's sins and all his descendants' sins, who took the wrath of God upon him. That Abraham saw me and he rejoiced when I was coming. Before Abraham was, I am. He takes upon the name of God in the Old Testament. He calls himself the one who is and always has been and always will be. Jesus is God. Last question. What is the truth about my views? It's the truth about my views. Well, apart from divine revelation, we hear we do not understand. We see and we do not receive. We do not receive. Second um, Corinthians chapter three, verse 18. Remember, I mentioned a minute ago that word transfigured is the word metamorphosis. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18, it says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. You here's the good news. Here's the good news. You don't understand. I don't understand. You can't understand. You can't perceive. You can't see apart from the revelation of God. But let me tell you some good news. Good news. You're being changed. You're being changed to understand. You're being changed. If you have repented of your sins, you put your faith and trust in Christ. You're a believer in the Lord Jesus. You're being changed so that you can see through the Spirit. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You don't have to go kill an animal. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2. Do not be conformed. Press into the mold of this world, but be transformed formed, transfigured, metamorphosized, okay? Be uh, changed into the same image. Uh, You're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from, I'm sorry, I jumped to the wrong verse. Um, But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be changed. Be transfigured by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of the Lord is, what is good and acceptable and is perfect. Now, here's the question for you. How, is, how could our minds possibly be changed and transformed? Well, simply put, by the word of God. I want to read one verse, give you a couple of closing thoughts of application of what to do with this, and then we're done. Here's the verse. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Peter references the Mount of Transfiguration. He goes back and he talks about what happened that day. And here's what he says. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were 
eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw with our own eyes. Now, some of you are critical, you're critical thinking people, and you're being critical of me right now, and I appreciate that, because you're thinking, well, you just said that we can't trust what we see, and Peter says he saw what, and, he, and Peter's saying you should believe it because I saw it, and now you're telling us we aren't supposed to believe what we saw, and there's a contradiction. Uh, yeah, I hear you, but wait with me, wait with me. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, there's the revelation, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven and we were with him on the holy mountain. This is the key. Verse 19. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Get this. Peter is saying, yeah, we saw it. And it was, don't don't get me wrong, it was unbelievable. But but we have we have the prophetic word of God now. We have the word of God now. We don't have to, re- you don't have to rely on my sight. I don't have to rely on my sight. We can rely upon the word of God. We have the prophetic word of God fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. Are you in a dark place in your life? You do well to look at the lamp until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke by God from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is a, that's some insight into how revelation happens, how God reveals himself, carries along the biblical authors that wrote the New and the Old Testament. We'll talk about that another day. And he inspired his word. And Peter says, that's more reliable than my view. What I saw is less reliable than what God has revealed through his word to us as people who were carried along uh, by the Holy Spirit to write it. So here's the question. How are you transformed by the word of God? How can you be transformed by the word of God? First of all, you need to read it personally. You need to read it personally. Read it personally. You Listen, you say, well, I don't really, I don't like my Bible. Do you have a phone? I mean, 98% of the population has a smartphone with some kind of, you know, get the Bible app, version. Look up version. get that, it's great. And read your Bible, but Open your, the Word of God, and, and, and sometimes I, I like reading on my app, and that's cool, but I, sometimes you just got to get the book. Okay, just get the book, open it up, write on it, wear it out. Man, wear it, underline, highlight, get a pen with different colors and assign different colors, different me. Read the Word of God, read the Word, memorize, meditate, chew on, digest, consume the Word of God. Okay, think about this. I mean, what, what day goes by that you don't check your email, you don't check your Facebook, you don't check your, your Twitter, your, your text, your mailbox, your whatever, but how many days go by before you read the Word of God on your own? While you're on your own. The creator of the universe was gracious and kindly enough to provide for us his revelation to us, and he promises to speak to us through it, and we don't ever look at it, we don't ever read it, we, don't, we, just, we read it on Sunday mornings, we read it when we see it on a coffee mug at the office because somebody has a little scripture Bible, we read it when somebody posts a little scripture thing on, on Facebook, that's our extent of our study of the word of God. Read the Bible on your own. God has revealed something. Listen, there are people all around the world that don't, don't even have a Bible in their own language yet. And you've got like eight different versions. Which one's the best? Just read one of them. I don't care. Just pick one of them. They're good. Second thing, read and listen to it publicly and in community. Listen, you are invited to life groups. In life group, we talk about the word of God. 
we talk about it. Uh, one of the things that we're going to talk about, and I'm not going to read for you today, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I don't know if you know who he is, but he was martyred during World War II in concentration camps because he stood against the German Empire as a preacher. He stood against uh, what was going on, and from that he was ended up being killed. But he has written some amazing things. Uh, but he has a book on living together in community, and we're going to read some quotes for you in Life Group this week that are really some awesome stuff about the importance of reading the Word of God in community. You know what? You don't just need to read it on your own. You need to be encouraged. We, that's why the, we're told in the Bible to not forsake the assembling of the saints, to come together so that we can encourage one another. You need to encourage other people the truths about the Word of God. They need to hear it from you. They need to hear, hear the Word of God spoken from you to them. It's one of the ways God encourages us. In fact, we tend to doubt left to our own devices. When we turn inwardly, we start thinking about things, we start doubting, and we need other people to read the Word of God to us. That's why we need community. That's why we do life together. That's what life groups are for. Thirdly, listen to the preaching of the Word of God. Listen to the preaching of the Word of God. You say, well, that sounds a little self-serving because you're standing up in front of people and you're yelling at them and you're you're telling us to listen to you and we've had enough of you. Uh, We don't want to listen to you. Well, there's the thing. uh, The Bible calls preaching beautifully. It calls preaching... um, it talks about the foolishness of preaching. It labels it as foolishness. Why in the world God would call somebody to stand up in front of people and to proclaim the word of God? I don't understand, but he did it. And he's called people to do it. He called me to do it. And I'm doing it. But, uh, but understand that God speaks through the preaching of the word of God. He speaks through the proclamation and the preaching of the word of God. It confronts us. It, it cuts through. It reveals things. It helps us. It nourishes us. It challenges. But how do you get stuff from this? Five quick things. Listen with a soul that is prepared. Did you come in this morning with your soul prepared? Or did you come in crazy? It was, man, it was crazy. I was up late last night. It was this and that and whatever. And just frantic. And you're here and you're just like, good night. When are we going to get over? It's too cold in here. Now it's too hot in here. This is what am I going to do? What am I going to eat for lunch? Will the popcorn be ready? Can I get some of that on my way out? You're thinking about this thing. Listen, come with a soul prepared. Come with a soul prepared. Second, with a mind that is alert. Come with a mind alert. Man, come ready. Come refreshed. Come Listen, sometimes Saturday nights are crazy. They are at my house, but I would encourage you to do the best you can to carve out Saturday night that make it a light night. Get crazy on Friday night. Don't get like ungodly crazy, but, you know, have fun. Friday night, don't get drunk with wine because that is just crazy. I'm not saying party like that, but but hang out, have a good time, you know, do whatever, stay up late, whatever. But Friday, Saturday night, as best as possible on a normal and your normal schedule. Go to bed in time to be able to wake up so that you can hear. Because understand that the enemy wants to rip out of your heart the seeds that have been planted this morning. And he will. And I guarantee you, before you get on the Roan Street, you will forget 99.6% of what you heard this morning. You will. Unless you listen with a soul prepared, a mind that is alert, a Bible open. Again, boot up your app, bring a Bible, but listen with a Bible open. A heart that is receptive. Are you open to hearing from God? Listen, don't listen to what I say. Don't write down what I say. Listen to what the Word of God says because we don't want you to come away with an outline book. We want you to hear from God. And God might speak to you on something. God might have, you might have heard everything you needed to hear on the Show Us Christ song before the sermon. And God landed on you and you heard some truth and he convicted you of something and he spoke to you and he encouraged your soul in such a way that, that the day will be different because of that. I would encourage you, if the creator of the universe was gracious enough to speak to you this morning, you might want to write it down so you don't forget it because the enemy will steal it from you before you hit the street. Write it down. 
write it down, a heart that's receptive and a life that is ready to spring into action. Then do something about whatever it is he told you. But you will never apply what you don't remember and you won't remember what you don't write down. Write it down. Listen, uh, we're doing sermon-based life groups now. We're storing through the passages that we look at on Sunday mornings. And so when you're going to get your life group this week, and whether you're in life group or not, you could talk about this around the uh, drink machine in your office or school or whatever. Tell people about what God said to you this week. Whenever your life group meets, you're going to be asked the question, what would you get out of the word of God this week? Whenever God does great things, it's not me. I can assure you that the Sundays I come out here going, man, it was horrible. You know, several people will, man, God spoke to me. on And it's probably something completely unrelated to what I meant to say. And you should be listening. Don't listen to me. Listen to him through me, through his word. Write those things down, apply them and be able to talk about what God is doing in your life as you're appropriating what you've been reading personally, what you're talking about in community and what you've heard preached publicly. Be able to digest, apply that stuff that you can grow and you can be transformed, transfigured into what God intends for you to be. Let's pray. 